Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you once again for joining us this week on the Farcast. It's terrific to have you with us. Thank you for the cards, the notes, the letters, the emails, and the texts uh, from last week's Farcast. We had the great Kenny Polcari last week, uh, Dan Mahaffey. We had a terrific, terrific show last week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And for all, uh, there were some really cool comments, uh, actually from all over the country, which was which is really cool. It's 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 uh, wild to think that we've got you. Uh, you're kind enough to take us along in your earbuds, in your car, and elsewhere, in your homes. Appreciate that very, very much. Remember that our creed on the Farcast is that we believe money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And, first and foremost, that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. Uh, long-term listeners know we're going to have three segments tonight. Wall Street. Washington and the world. Uh, we have uh, my great friend Kenny Polcari from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange coming up to discuss what happened on Wall Street over the past few days. And today was a big day on Wall Street. Oh, my goodness, was it a big day. Dow's, the Dow stocks, the S&P stocks, the NASDAQ stocks all went south, not having a good day. And Bonds actually rallied, so we'll talk about that in a minute with Kenny. We have Dan Mahaffey discussing Washington, and boy, hasn't that been interesting over the past week, month, six months, 12 months. You pick the time period. It's been interesting in Washington. Uh, we're going to talk about trade wars, if we're really going to have one. We're going to talk about why we haven't heard about Robert Mueller either. And then finally, um, in, in the uh, third segment of the forecast. We have federal, former Federal Reserve Governor Mark Olson joining us once again. He was such a terrific guest, and he's coming back to explain what's going on in interest rates and what does it mean uh, that the yield curve is getting so flat, and if he thinks we're going to go into recession, or if he thinks the market's actually going to overheat and the economy's going to overheat and the Fed's going to lose control. We have all sorts of cataclysms uh, out there that we can throw potentially at my good friend Mark Olson, and we'll see how well he deals. He's such a smart guy. But now, uh, this is the highlight of everybody's show, of everybody's week. I mean, certainly mine and certainly Boris's. Uh, from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and O'Neill Securities, the very wise, the very experienced, the very talented, the good-looking and much older than I am, Kenny Polcari. How are you, brother? Dude, I'm good. I'm just curious. All those notes and letters and emails, they had to be about me. They had to be, right? Uh Actually, uh, 78 of the 79 mentioned you, and the, and the 79th was from my father. So uh, mostly all. Yeah, yeah. If it weren't for Dad, yes. Yeah. Uh, everything's about you. We know that. Uh, hey, you had a, a fairly big day up on the floor today. The stocks were not happy. It was a very interesting day. No, stocks were not happy, although I have to tell you, certainly the day ended a whole lot better than it began, right? That's I mean, happened a few times lately on these big down days, open down, and then it kind of recovers. Looks like after Europe closes is what I've noticed. Have you seen that? Right. Well, I have seen that, but I'll also tell you, you know, from a couple of perspectives, right? Certainly, technically, we get down to the 2745 level, right where it should have found support, right where it opened. It kind of stood there. It stayed, churned, it churned, it churned on the S&P. The Dow, you know, by far had the worst day. At one point, it was down 400 points. It still closed down 278, while the S&P and the NASDAQ appeared to rally back, although ended negative, but certainly well off the lows. What was really interesting was that the Russell, 
Yes. Uh, and the Russell is a small cap, mid cap, very U.S. centric. Well, there are a lot of them, but you're talking right? about the Russell 2000. The Russell 2000. The small it's ones. A very, yeah. Right. But it's a very U.S. centric index. That yes. All the names in there are, are stocks in this country that will be unaffected by the trade war, unaffected by the stronger dollar, unaffected by a weaker dollar, unaffected by almost anything that seems to be concerning the Tariffs. market. So yeah. therefore, the Russell actually closed up today. Uh, small, but it did close up which is kind of interesting when you look at where money is moving out of, right? It's certainly moving out of the big Dow industrial names for a number of reasons. A, because those are big-name stocks, and it's easy to raise money in those stocks when asset managers want to raise money quickly. It's easy to sell 100,000 shares of Johnson & Johnson or Coke or GE, much easier than it is to sell 100,000 shares of Bank of Hawaii. And so, therefore, they will sell, they'll, they'll raise cash in the Dow names, and then they will redeploy it, right? Even the S&P rallied back, uh, although it ended negative, it was certainly well off its lows. Um, well, we, you know, the other thing, that, Kenny, that I think we ought to make sure our, our listeners understand is that uh, in the in, in, in the Dow, uh, it's a price weighted index. And, and so that the bigger dollar shares, the shares that sell for higher prices actually influence the average more. Is that right? That's correct. So, so Caterpillar and Deer right. and Boeing and even Apple was down. to oh, All of those right. kind of nail it. Right. That's right. But look at all those names you're talking about. They are big names, well-capitalized, easy to raise money in. So you have a lot of asset managers when they need to raise cash. You know, they raise, they, they sell stocks that are easy to sell without really impacting um, uh, the broader portfolio, right? It's easy to sell those names. Yeah, Apple, but it's, Apple, it's, it's uh, well, okay, but Apple is one of those tech stocks, is one of the FANG stocks. And, yes. and Google, there's plenty, you, there's plenty of liquidity in Google and Netflix and yes. Amazon. and all. I mean, That's they're liquid as hell, too, but people aren't selling them as much, are they? No, they're not selling them as much. Tech continues to kind of play a very, uh, a very positive role in people's portfolios and the outlook of the market, the outlook certainly for growth going forward. The FANG stocks and the disruptor names, the tech names, are clearly still very much a favorite, and I think those will continue to be a favorite. Amazon so, and Netflix were stocks, up today, huh? They, they were up today. And even though some of those stocks will come under some pressure when the market sells up, they will bounce right back the minute the tone turns, right? That's what I think is important to for, important for people to realize. But you get some other names, certainly some of the big multinational names that have much more are much more impacted by this potential tariff and trade war and discussion that we're having, those names are going to get probably beat up a little bit more depending on the rhetoric um, and, and the tone of the conversation and whether or not the tone turns around or whether or not the, uh, it continues to be kind of, you know, this, this he said, she said back and forth, which is going to cause uncertainty and then cause asset managers to say, you know what, let me lighten up on some of these names that I think have the potential to get crushed and reallocate the money to where I'm less concerned. So where do you so uh, okay? I mean, it used to be that you would have the flight to safety stocks. Actually, I saw the consumer staples actually had a decent day today, huh? Right, and the flight to safety you certainly had that. Treasuries were up, gold was up, right? You got certain tech names are up. You got certain. Listen, there were plenty of stocks. Dollar was up. Commodities were down. The dollar was up. Well, the commodities down because there's that inverse relationship, right? The dollar gets stronger, and commodities typically get come under pressure when the dollar gets stronger. But there are per, certainly plenty of names in this country. You get telecom stocks, right? Those are going to be unaffected by trade tariffs. And so, therefore, those could be a, a, a sector that people look to as a safety sector, right? So you have to really look around. Not every stock in the, in, in the, that's listed in the United States is going to be affected by trade tariffs and or this trade war that seems to be going on. And so there are other places to think about allocating some money.
Okay. So tell me also, uh, uh, Kenny, if we're going to reallocate money, I mean, I still think that uh, some of these larger balance sheet companies still strike me as safer. I mean, that's that's where I continue to invest. That's right. And I agree. Listen, and I think you're correct, right? Certainly because they're liquid, they're thick, they're big. They are, you know, they, they ultimately they might be affected by by uh, some of the trade talk. But once the trade talk settles down, once that kind of that rhetoric settles down, those stocks are going to regain, they're going to rebalance, they're going to stabilize, and they're going to start to move. You know, it'll be a good place to store cash, right? It's not going to be a growth name. It's not going to be an Apple or Google and really continue to take off. But it's going to be a good value and a good place to store uh, to store some cash and to invest some cash. One of the notes we got uh, last week uh, that we received over the week was, uh, are, are uh, ETFs the next bubble? Do you think that there's a risk, Kenny, from all of the ETFs out there? He's laughing. I think uh, I've hit a, I think I, whole, We could have this whole conversation about ETFs. I, I think there are, but I'm not across the whole ETF spectrum because the, the, the ETFs that are one for one are less risky, but you get the leverage two and three times ETFs and the very complex ETFs, some of these very complex ETFs, those are the ones that I think are going to be the next, are going to be the next issue for the market to deal with. Because look, you start in February when that short ball trade exploded, right? That was all an ETF product. When that, pro, when that trade exploded, the market just got crushed and that, and those, both those ETFs kind of went out they went out, it took 24 hours for the ETFs to become worthless. And so, therefore, because, you know, the, they didn't respond the way they were supposed to respond to a market that came under pressure. And as much as they tell you, oh, no, it's safe, it's safe, it's safe, look what happened. But those were levered ETFs, and they were very complex trades that you and I may not be invested in as a retail investor. But because they affect no, the broader I'm, market, no, we end up getting dragged into it because the broader market gets slammed. And uh, so, yes, I, I am a big I'm a big proponent of the fact that I don't think that the regulators are aware, are well aware enough at all about the risk that some of these levered complex ETFs pose to the system. And you I know, we've never issue. had a bubble uh, historically without leverage. I mean, and I, and I wrote about that in my, uh, in my book, The Arrogance Cycle. I wrote uh, about the tulip bulb crisis. Do you know the tulip bulb crisis uh, going back to the, uh, you know, 1600s? People were borrowing money uh, and, and buying right. the futures of tulip bulbs a year out right. at the same price they would use to pay for a townhouse. And they did it all on IOUs on freaking tulip bulbs. I mean, you can't, it's hard right. to imagine. But leverage, whether it was South Sea's banking crisis, whether it was 1999 uh, and, and, and the leverage then that was being used and margin that was being used even in the 80s of the various stock market crashes. And then, uh, okay, Kenny, I, so you and I agree. We've got to watch out for leverage. Tell me about GE. GE no longer in the Dow. Can you believe that in our lifetimes we're seeing the Dow, uh, G whoa, General Electric whoa, wait, gone? That, I, I missed that completely. When did that happen? Today? Yeah, I, this afternoon after they're gonna, it's going to be replaced with Walgreens. GE has been booted, gone from the wow. Dow Jones Industrial I, Average. I never thought I'd saw I, it in my life. I would never in a million years thought that I would see that in my life. Yep. I mean, GE, when you think about GE, GE is America, right? I mean, it is everything. You still want to talk about the constant American company. It's GE. Well, we used to say that about AT&T. Wow. We used to say that about Kodak. Right. We used true. to say that about That's Polaroid. True. We used to I mean, there were a lot of companies. Yeah. But yeah. GE was the bedrock, wasn't it? You think about Jack uh, Welsh and, and the reporting oh, and the finances. And, I mean, it was a triple A, triple A, and not anymore. Right. I not mean, anymore. 
Well, I completely missed that. I completely missed that. That had to happen close to the end of the day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, it was after the close. Uh, I just I just saw it late late this afternoon. You know, one of the very uncomfortable rules about Wall Street um, is is it is a place uh, for survival of the fittest. I mean, it is it is a bit dog eat dog. And you either uh, eat what you kill. You either uh, make your own way. Or, or you die. And that's that. I mean, that's Wall Street, and people don't like to see that side of it. But um, I, I think that this uh, survival of the fittest has just taken its uh, latest victim off of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, and that's General I, I, Electric. I th- yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You know, that's going to that's gonna be very interesting now because as a Dow stock or as a former Dow stock, there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, investments, whether they're models and or ETS that you know, have the Dow stocks in them. So now GE is no longer. So there's going to be this mass exodus out of GE. A lot of uh, selling, a lot of weakness into, in GE, right. yes. Well, into Walgreens, right? What a lot of Walgreen it. Walgreens is the, is the new name? Walgreens, right. so you're yeah. Going to see this, you're going to see this massive shift uh, of money moving out of GE for no other reason than if it's no longer part of that model, it can't be in that, it can't be in that model. So say what you want. If you like GE or not, you just can't own it. You can't own it. you got to sell it. That's right. I'm the manager. I'm, I've got to oversee this index fund. That's not in the index. It's gone. i got to go sell my shares. Kenny, we're, we're out of time. So we are off. We're a little bit weaker. We've had our sixth down session in a row since you and I spoke last week. What do you think over the next yep. uh, four or five sessions here before you and I get uh, to talk again? Take us out to the so close listen, here. i, I, I got to tell you something. I'm actually fairly impressed with how the market held in today. It had every reason to crack 2745 and it did not it found support at that level my sense is unless the rhetoric gets really really ugly over the next couple of days i think the market's going to find support here it may churn here again it may test that level again but i actually think you know by the time we talk next week it's going to be just it's going to be still within this 2745 2780 range ladies and gentlemen the great kenny polcari managing director at o'neill securities head of floor operations my very good and much older friend kenny thanks for being <laughs> with us again on the forecast stay right with us we're going to be right back you're listening to forecast this portion of the forecast is brought to you by far miller and washington investment council investment council means we work for you our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals at far miller in washington we believe money is hard to make and we're going to work hard to keep it working for you now more with Michael Farr and the forecast. Welcome back to the forecast. I am Michael Farr, and we are in Washington, D.C. It's finally gotten sunny this afternoon after a cloudy day on Wall Street. Stocks were lower across the board. Fears of a trade war. Uh, and and uh, GE left the Dow. Kenny was fabulous and, and give it, gave us some great guidance. Coming up with Dan Mahaffey. Hey, Boris, that is a great song. What are we listening to? Oh, this is from uh, Konstantin Chernenko. Oh, Chernenko. Chernenko, yes. He uh, went through a country phase. This was his version of The Night the Lights Went Out in Tbilisi. The, the Night the Lights Went Out in it, Tbilisi. I didn't it, realize that Chernenko went through a country phase. Oh, big time. He was a big fan of uh, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, yes, yes. Dolly Parton, among others. Merle Haggard. Wow, that's quite a, a cross-section of country, even, with uh, Dolly and Kenny and Merle. Well, uh, that's that's fascinating. Was it popular with the young people? In- it was not a big hit, but no. it's made a bit of a comeback. Has it? Yes. yes. Okay. I just don't ever really know why we do that. Uh, 
All right. Uh, now, thank you, Boris. Coming up, uh, well, we've got my friend Dan Mahaffey. Now, remember that Dan Mahaffey is our smart guy. He's our political analyst, right? Uh, he works for the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. He works with the Board of Trustees. Uh, he works on the Center's research and policy uh, priorities and develops op-eds and essays. It's, this is a think tank in D.C. But look, really smart guy, holds his master's in, listen to this, security studies with a concentration in U.S. defense policy from Georgetown University and a B.A. in government with a minor in history and Mandarin Chinese, also from Georgetown University. And he studied at East China Normal University in Shanghai, where he conducted advanced language studies, Research on the U.S.-China-Taiwan trilateral relation. I mean, okay, the guy's smart. He's got chops. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Farcast. Glad you're back, buddy. Hello, Michael. You are too kind. Um, and I have to borrow a phrase from a great football coach that being a political analyst right now is like being a bubblegum salesman in a lockjaw ward. <laughs> I like it. Bubblegum salesman in a lockjaw ward. All right. So, uh, you know, in the past week, we've seen that uh, uh, the president's bombast uh, or what the president's policies or, or approach that starts out as bombast leads to uh, photo ops. From bombast to photo ops, I think, could be his, uh, uh, the title of his memoir if I were to start writing it here. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure he would appreciate that, but but we've got the photo ops. Um, t tell us what you make of the last week, Dan. And we've got we've got you know uh, election prospects that are shifting. We've got immigration. We've got so much to talk about this week. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly we've seen. We'll start internationally. The the movement on North Korea. Uh, as much as there's dispute over what the details of the summit are and I will still disagree with the decision on the military exercises. Uh, they're moving ahead with the progress they've made there. Uh, Secretary Pompeo uh, pushing ahead on that. I think they still want to this to be the major foreign policy achievement of this year as they go into the elections. And I think given the, the decrease in tensions, there's, a, there's some deserved pride uh, in that aspect. Um, although I will agree with some of the critique that they're they're patting themselves on the back for putting out uh, the fire uh, that they lit themselves last year. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Well, you know, somebody um, uh, somebody said these guys are the only people I know that when they shoot themselves in the in the foot, uh, only pause to reload. Um, you know, it, it, it's it, yeah. it, it's kind of a strange. It is kind of a strange reaction at times. But as as I looked at that, okay, so it, it, after the meeting, after the discussions, the the only concrete thing that I've seen is uh, that we've stopped uh, training exercises with South Korea. So we've stopped military exercises. That's a hard, tenable action, measurable action. Is am I right? It is. It is the it is the hardest action that we've seen so far. They've talked about uh, potentially the North Koreans uh, taking out some of their own uh, testing facilities, uh, taking them offline. Uh, at the same time, though, you know they did. Move, the North Koreans took out facilities as a as a trade. As a, uh, the, are you suggesting we got some tit for that tat? No, they, this is being suggested from the White House. I'll defer to some other analysts who are very focused on the area who say either that we, we can't verify, so we don't have that trust but verify capability there, although we have other means 
uh, of of looking at it. And then they'll point the administration will point to the the nuclear testing site that they decommissioned. Uh, although a lot of other analysts, independent analysts, will also tell you that collapsed because they fired off one too many nuclear weapons inside that mountain. Oh, so that it wasn't so much taking it offline as there was nothing left anyway. Yes, as if I handed you my car that had uh, that had died on the side of the highway and told you I was uh, giving you a brand new broken down Volkswagen. Very nice. So, Dan, I, I'm I'm trying to read between the lines because you're 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 always so polite. It, what was anything accomplished? Uh, I think much of the at least pausing this this run-up intentions that we'd had over the past year. Yes, yes. I will, I will still say that's an accomplishment. Uh, as I've said repeatedly, jaw-jaw is better than war-war. Um, I like Particularly it. one that could be... Jaw-jaw uh, better than war-war. I like that a lot. That's great. Uh, yeah, great Winston Churchill quote. Uh, and, uh, and a way to, uh, to stop this run-up to hostility. Wait, that was Churchill uh, that, who said that? That is correct, sir. I was going to so, give it to you the whole time. I'm, I had would have never had any idea. I'm pretty sure Joe Stalin said that. <laughs> you can oh, check okay. your history book, but it's the way we taught in Russia. Ah, that's what uh, got it. Um, so, <laughs> I, I apologize for him, Dan. I, I really do. Uh, it's a it's a Russian quote book. It's all these quotes with one byline. <laughs> Joseph Stalin. Uh, Joe Stalin. That's right. Putin has said everything uh, since. You know, uh, yes. uh, post post Churchill. Uh, uh, that shining mountain on a hill that that yeah. that apparently was Putin. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if you know that. All right, the shining Dasha by Sochi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, and, and, so that's international. What else should I be looking at international before we talk about immigration? Well, I think internationally we're going to continue to see this trade discussion continue, uh, ramping up the now two hundred billion uh, back and forth with China. Um, where you certainly have this this ramping up of tensions. And the interesting tidbit I heard over the past week uh, from people who are tracking trade uh, very closely is that they're starting to see a strategy, and I think some would even in this administration admit it if you perhaps gave them a few beers and got them off the record, that they want to ramp up trade uncertainty to the point that business uh, feels compelled to bring their operations back to the U.S. Ah, so you think that this is a strategy uh, from the U.S. to make, uh, I guess, the multinational U.S. corporations who uh, have, have lots of operations overseas uh, that you want, they want those jobs to return to the U.S. and operations to return to the U.S. Um, does, that, does that ring true to you? Do you think that makes sense? Well, I see. I'm sorry. That's two different questions. Let's not do that to you. Uh, You you think that that's? Do you think that that's true? You think that's what they're doing? Well, one, it fulfills the. It fits with the pattern of President Trump fulfilling every promise he makes on the campaign trail, which we as as analysts are are still getting used to. Politicians who follow through on what they say they will do. Right. but we're also looking at when you see actions, uh, for example, the proposal that they delivered to put a five-year sunset into any renewed NAFTA agreement, um, putting in a five-year sunset, even though it was a non-starter for the Canadians and the Mexicans, right. still plants that seed of uncertainty in any trade deal Right, right, uh, right, in right. In terms of, of business planning its operations. So it's, uh, this, is, this is a big deal about whether we're going to invest real money here. And that's really fascinating that, 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 that we would be 
causing or that the, that the government would be sort of creating a threatening trade environment to encourage U.S. corporations to uh, do more business here at the U.S. where they don't have these yeah. uh, 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 external threats. Fascinating. Fascinating. And, and based, based entirely on the belief that the economy is now strong enough uh, that it can endure a, a trade. I don't think they want a trade war. They might call it a trade kerfuffle. Yes. To to force concessions by other countries. Uh, and and they, they have a logic behind it. They look at our, our the performance of our economy compared to others around the world. Um, and they think that we can we can win a uh, we can win a challenge here. When you are OK, but if you are doing business around the world, uh, you kind of have a robust economy and, and we're sort of talking about who gets to take credit for it and exactly where. I mean, a lot of the multinational corporations, for instance, if you're going to if you're going to be selling products to Asia or, uh, or, or if you're going to be selling products to Asia, it, it's often uh, a lot more sensible to manufacture the products somewhere near Asia, in Asia, so that you don't have to ship them halfway around the world if you can find the resources and labor and everything to do it on reasonable economies of scale, mm -hmm. right? So Precisely. I, and, I, and I think, though, that many in this administration, you know, for, are focused on cars, steel, iron, the, the economy uh, of the 20th century, and not so much when we think about uh, consumer products. So if you're like a, a Procter & Gamble-type corporation, uh, you know, making soap powder and lotions and things like that. You don't want to ship that across the Pacific back to your Chinese market. Um, and there's that, I think, the perception among some of the, the trade warriors uh, in this administration that we need to be focusing on the, the, the 20th century industries as a trade war and not really understanding the, the collateral damage that will fall upon services, consumer products, other more uh, 21st century, even technology uh, type applications. Ladies and gentlemen, now. I promise that on the forecast, we are America first all the time, all the way. No question. You will not find more patriotic red, white and patriotic red, white and blue beating hearts than we have here on the forecast. Um, but protectionism doesn't work economically. It doesn't work. So I think we have to be a little bit more forward-thinking in some of the uh, actions that we're taking economically. It's not going to be good for our markets. It's not going to be good for our economy's uh, economic growth long-term if we continue to build fences as opposed to uh, some sort of roads. Uh, we do more with roads than we do with fences. I promise, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm America first all the time, uh, I've got now 30 seconds, Dan, to do immigration. Can you tell me, are we going to see a change? Because we're way out of time, because you're so damn smart. i got to listen to everything you say, and it's fabulous. But uh, tell, tell, tell me about immigration. Well, with immigration, we now have this situation where the, the not only is it an immoral policy to take small children uh, from their parents, but the, Are we really doing that? Are they really doing that? They are. They're, They're taking using small the children. prosecutorial discretion that they have, uh, which, you know, they will, they will come back and Mind you, their messaging on this has been terrible. We heard, uh, I think, five different explanations over the weekend. Uh, but basically Laura Ingram down, said it was like summer camp. Well, I would challenge Laura Ingram or any other of the, those people who are saying that in the media to send their children uh, there this summer. Yeah, I, I'd probably not where I'd want to spend much time. Uh, 
Dan, we've got to talk more about immigration and what it's going to do to the uh, what it's going to do to the elections in November, and if that's going to change votes, or does the president have another way of uh, changing this discussion and moving things forward in a way that we don't suspect? And 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 is Robert Mueller still working? He is quietly plugging away. Uh, you expect more indictments? I expect to hear more coming down. We we saw what we with Manafort and the witness tampering. So we've actually he's spent, in jail. Uh, yeah, he's in jail. He's, he's on, in jail. Wow. Yep. Our federal government's finest hospitality for him. I hope you're going to come back next week because we've got to talk more about this. We're going to lead here. If if, if something else doesn't steal our headlines uh, for next week, we've got it. We've got to finish up. We've got to we've got to start where we can't finish. Uh, yes. Dan Mahaffey, you're the man. Thank you so much for being with us again Happy on to. the forecast. All right, man. Good to talk to you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please stay with us. We're going to be right back with uh, uh, my friend uh, Mark Olson from the Federal Reserve, uh, retired Federal Reserve governor. Find out what's going on with trade. Find out what's going on with interest rates in Washington, D.C. I'm Michael Farr. We're going to be right back. You're listening to Forecast. This portion of the Forecast is brought to you by Farr, Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Farmiller in Washington, we believe money is hard to make. and We're going to work hard to keep it working for you. You're listening to Forecast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. We're so glad that you're with us and join us every week. It is a great privilege to be with you in your earbuds, in your cars, in your homes, in your offices. It's great that you have us. We thank you for your notes. We thank you for your emails and texts. And we, we tried to answer some even with Kenny tonight. Okay, first couple of segments with Kenny Polcari from the floor of the Stock Exchange. GE no longer in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That's a shock. Something neither Kenny nor I ever thought we'd see in our lifetimes. Dan Mahaffey on the... Uh, fallouts of the president's conference with Kim Jong-un, what he thinks are going on really as the the behind-the-scenes agenda of the trade war. I was fascinating to hear uh, his behind-the-scenes agenda coming from the White House. But now, I mean, here's the piece de resistance. Here's the high point of the show this week in all of our discussions. Joining us now uh, for segment three is my good friend Mark Olson. Mark was a... uh, Uh, Federal Reserve Governor, a member of the Federal Open Market Committee. Uh, He worked in the Senate on the Banking Committee. Uh, He was the president of a bank. Mark has done just about everything. He's a really smart guy. You can see him on uh, CNBC regularly. Anytime there's a Fed meeting, you'll see Mark. You'll see him on Squawk Box on CNBC and other TV outlets. He's on a member of the University of Maryland Advisory Board for Financial Policy and the Economic Club of Minnesota. You're in Minnesota tonight, aren't you, Mark? Welcome to the Farcast. I am, Mike. We are in Minnesota. Uh, great to be here, but also great to join you. Thanks, well, thank thanks you. for bringing me in by phone. Uh, you're great to do it. How's Minnesota? Minnesota is lovely. Uh, we're having temperatures in the mid-70s. Might get up to up into the 80s tomorrow. Oh, I'm and no humidity, at least not by Washington D.C. standards. Uh, well, here we're bathing um, uh, just every time we walk outside, and it's uh, 
Uh, it's been 90 degrees and wet and sticky and miserable. But um, so Minnesota, you made the right choice again. <laughs> Olson, well, we did so far. Yes. Olson does the smart thing again. So, Mark, what did you make from the from the Fed meeting? The increase we everybody knew they were going to do it. And yet every time they do it and inc- increase rates, uh, everybody still seems shocked. And here again, with a little bit of a threat of a trade war, we see the treasuries rallying uh, and uh, and and the 10 year treasury now at um, uh, something like 289, 288. Uh, well, I, I think you got to separate out two things. Uh, number one, and this is this is something that the markets have trouble with. The monetary policy people don't, but the markets have trouble with the, the markets are not the economy. And, and so you have to remember that the Fed is looking at the economy and the underlying economy, as was expressed very strongly by Chairman Powell, is doing quite well. Now, also, as you as you would have noticed, uh, that in, in, in the June uh, quarter, on a quarter, quarterly basis, uh, each of the FOMC members does their own projection yes. as to where they think the economy is going. <clears throat> and the general rule among the participants is they're looking for like a 2.8 or so this year down to a 2.5 and a 2.4 uh, in future years. So as they're looking at they're looking out over GDP growth uh, over the next couple of years, it's 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 uh, adequate, uh, but not robust. And, and I think that that was I think that that was. And the other thing that is happening is that the inflation premium has all but disappeared. And so I think that's what you're looking at what's happening at the long end of the T. OK, so uh, now ten, wait, at, let, let, let me ask level. you about those things. Uh, can I ask because yeah. I want to go down. So when you say two, eight, two, five, two, four over the next three years, that's projected growth of uh, GDP growth, right? Growth of that's the U.S. Correct. economy. And that's so correct. it's growing a little hotter now and it's expected to become a little bit more temperate. Uh, what does that mean to you? I mean, can you remember any other period when you were on the Fed or when you were looking forward three years that you kind of see a, a flat line? OK, it's not bad. It's not great. It's it's the mama bear of the Goldilocks uh, uh, situation. Yeah. Just right. Well, no, I, I don't remember any time quite like this. But remember, to keep, to, uh, keeping keeping with that metaphor, if it's if it's just right, it means it can't stay that way. So you don't believe those down, you don't believe those and, numbers. And I, I think that I, I think that what the what the what the what the economists are saying is that especially in light of the deficits uh, that are happening, some of the uncertainty uh, in the marketplace, we can't be any more optimistic than we are right now. That, that's how I would read it. So it sounds like everything is firing on all cylinders. Uh, there is there are uh, there is blue sky and sunshine everywhere, and uh, we're never going to have any storms again. Is that sort of what? Well, it, where the storms are keep threatening. Yeah. Uh, anytime there, there's a discussion of trade war, anytime there's a discussion of adding new tariffs, uh, that's a problem. Uh, all, and and those are I think, but but, you, but we we don't none of those are translating yet. In economic activity, and so I I think what the Fed does, what the Fed does very well, is that it monitors the real economy, and 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 until they see it in the real economy, they're they're not going to start measuring it and trying to weigh it. But but nonetheless, it is a threat. Okay, can you tell us, uh, as 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 a central banker, uh, what the problem is? There a problem with tariffs? What what's the problem with tariffs? Or is there one? Well, the problem with tariffs. Well, first of all, let's 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 look at it from the other perspective. Uh, if you're looking to maximize global growth, 
then, then you should look at every country of the world and say, what is their relative comparative advantage? And how can they maximize that comparative advantage? If you look at, at, at tariffs, and, and uh, if a president like, like President Trump looks at every, uh, at, at every uh, bipart- you know, uh, just uh, uh, relationship, the economic relationship right. between the two participants, right. uh, and they see that, there's a, that, that we have a negative balance of trade, he, he sees that as a bad deal. Well, there's no algebraic formula that you can, that you can put together that we could be at a positive balance of trade uh, on a bilateral basis with every country and it not be and it not be a restrictive to the global economy right so that's the reason okay so now let's let's just try and um, uh, you said that very clearly but let's try and do it in 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 more in english so okay. a bilateral deal means that yes. just if we measure trade between ourselves and every other country just one at a time right right uh, right that we can't be on the winning end of a hundred percent of those deals, and still see the global economy grow. Is that what you just said? That's correct. Okay, that's correct. Uh, and and so now I, I'm thinking about you, you know uh, Phyllis in uh, Albuquerque, uh, and she's going to say, "Why not? Why can't America win on every one of those deals? I don't understand why that wouldn't lead to growth." <clears throat> well, well, for example, uh, we we do not have a comparative advantage. In, uh, in, in the manufacture of clothing vis-a-vis the labor rates that are available uh, in, the, in, in for, for example, the Pacific Rim. Okay. Uh, but the Pacific Rim cannot match what we can do in the way of agricultural uh, commodities that we produce. They simply can't match us, particularly Japan. So we have a bilateral understanding that we will make food available to them, and they make, they make certain articles of clothing or other materials available to us at a price that we could not do them in this country and sustain our standard of living. So what do, are, do you, are you, is, is this another way to say that our standard of living would go down if we were to rely on, on being on the winning side of, of any bilateral trade agreement? I think you would have to say that our economy would contract. Our economy and, and, would and contract. If, if, if the economy is contracting in, in a growing in a growing population, yes, our standard of living to, in total would go down. Would go down. So this is the, these trade tariffs could uh, will will affect uh, Fred and Ethel and and uh, Phyllis in Albuquerque when she goes to the store and when Fred and Ethel uh, go to try and buy either a car or groceries or anything. Right. I mean, sooner or later, Correct. these tariffs. Uh, uh, so things will cost more money because of these tariffs. Correct. Correct. And now we've lived with some of them for a long time. Uh, you know, Fred and Ethel in Al- Albuquerque still buy sugar, there is probably no commodity uh, where we in the U.S. are more restrictive than we are with sugar importers to the United States. We protect our sugar industry. And many other... uh, Why do do we do that? Why do we protect our sugar industry? Because because the members of Congress vote for it. Uh, The sugar lobby is very strong. (laughs) Does it make sense economically? Does it do us any good economically? It, it, it does not make sense economically, and uh, but nonetheless, it, it, it is the fact. Because and we can we, buy we are, sugar we are cheaper. Protective of our industries. Okay. And, and agriculture, agriculture has a strong, has a soft spot in many of our hearts, uh, and it's simply because we we tend to associate that with 
the uh, you know, with the the family farm, even though the family farm is for the most part a uh, long since disappeared. You you also said that you weren't really we weren't really seeing any uh, uh, signs of inflation. There there weren't really any indications of inflation. Is that still true? Do you think? It's we're not seeing what we expect to see, Mike. What I would expect to see at this point in the recovery is some wage inflation. And, and despite the fact that, 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 the, the, that the unemployment rate is down in the 3.8% range, we're still not seeing much wage inflation. Now, it's got to come because, uh, you know, the, uh, it seems like, and, and Chairman Powell said this, yeah, said this uh, yesterday, he, he said absolutely what we're not, that anybody that wants a job probably can get one. They haven't seen this, the economy in terms of its job creation ability be any stronger than this at any time in the recent uh, history. Uh, and so there has to be some uh, wage inflation coming. And that's what I would look for next is wage inflation in particular. Do you think Coming that's a good side. thing or a bad thing, Mark? Uh, overall, it's a good thing. Uh, overall, it's a good thing because as, as incomes rise, as incomes rise, the overall standard of living, as incomes rise, uh, consumption will rise, and that will drive a stronger economy. Uh, Far, uh, absolutely, not that anybody should really care, but Far entirely agrees with Olson on that point. I think it is really important. I do think it's a good thing. Uh, uh, so my last thing that's concerning me, and this is terrific, Mark, I learn so much every time I get to talk to you, uh, and so thank you, but uh, I look at the difference between the yield on the two-year Treasury now and the 10-year Treasury, I have long said on the forecast that that is a, um, that that is the canary in the coal mine, uh, canary in the coal mine, and we're now down to 35 basis points in the difference between yields. You get paid one-third of one percent more to own, to loan your money to the government for 10 years than you do if you give it to them for two years. Am I right in watching that? And what does that narrowing spread mean, Mark? Well, I think it primarily means that there's well, it means a couple of things. Right now, the, the only pressure on interest rates are on the short end. As the Fed is trying to move interest rates up, as they're adjusting the interest they pay on excess reserves, uh, the overnight rate is very high uh, relative probably to the market rate. And so, so I think that there's pressure on the short end. On the longer end, I think what, that, what, what the market is deciding is that there's, that there's very little inflation premium that needs to be paid. And so it's that inflation premium that we used to see in the 2% range. If you were watching the tips over a period of time, you would notice a significant difference between the tips and, 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 any, other, and, and any maturity of treasuries. And that has largely disappeared. And so the markets are, are at the moment are saying we, inflation is not going to be an issue because, it, because we think the Fed has it under control. That's my read. Do you agree with that? Yes. You do? Yes, do I, you? I, would, I would support that. Now, now what, what, what the markets don't like is that there's not a lot of money to be made on a flat yield curve. The markets want to see a normalized yield curve. And, and so that, that's, that's where their comfort level is. The most, many of the models, the, the uh, investment models, have been built on that. Oh, and, and so I think that there, there's, a, there's a lot of, 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 uh, of, of desire uh, to get back to that. Are you worried and, that the yield I, curve I might it. invert? Are you worried that, that, that it might invert, that, that, that the two-year might all of a sudden start paying more than the 10-year? And we got to go. I'm really sorry. This is fabulous, but you're just the, too uh, interesting. That could happen, but it would be a very short period of time. That, that would not happen long. Would it worry you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that would, if that were a long term, if that were a long term, that would worry me. 
Mark Olson, my very good friend and very brilliant friend, former Fed governor, member of the Open Market Committee. Thank you so much for joining us on the Farcast. You're the best. Well, my pleasure, Michael, and it's always always fun to be with you. Thanks, pal. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much once again for joining us this week on the Farcast. Please remember that if you think you heard any recommendation to buy or sell a security, you didn't. We don't do that here. If you're thinking about making changes to your portfolio based on anything you heard on the Farcast, please don't. Please check with your financial advisor, your financial professional, or give us a call at Far Miller and Washington. FarMiller.com is our website. I've got terrific, wonderfully experienced uh, folks who are there, very kind folks, patient folks who will help you through your financial navigation and life's journey. Once again, this week for the Farcast, thank you so much. In Washington, D.C., I'm Michael Farr.